The product value profile offers insights into how your products stand out in the market and provides the basis for pricing that's different from the rest of the competitive pack. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 318 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This is the third in our informal series on tools for learning businesses. In episode 312, we talked about the market insight matrix. And in episode 315, we talked about the value ramp. In this episode, we'll focus on the product value profile, which fits well with both of those earlier tools, particularly the value ramp. And we'll apply the same why, what, how framework we used when talking about those earlier tools. So let's start with why to use the product value profile. As we talked about when sharing the value ramp, price and value are closely linked. Raise value and the price can and arguably should go up. But to raise value, you first have to evaluate the perceived value of your products. And the product value profile is a way to do just that. It's a way to evaluate the value of your products and to do that objectively. And to emphasize what you just said, Salisa, when you increase the value of a product, you can charge more. And of course, pricing is essential for all learning businesses to master. Even nonprofit learning businesses need revenue to continue to exist and to continue delivering on their mission. And Price and revenue aside, I think most learning businesses want to have a good grasp on the types and the level of value their offerings deliver because that usually relates directly to the impact of those offerings, how how much impact they're likely to have out in the market. And again, that's something that learning businesses should, of course, care deeply about. The product value profile is a tool that offers a way to assess and visually represent the value you currently deliver with a specific product or product line, and the perception of that value in the market. And by doing this kind of evaluation, you'll get insight into what value signals you can adjust to change both the value and the price of your specific product or line of products. And as we've already suggested, the product value profile and the value ramp really complement each other. You can think of the value ramp as kind of the bigger picture tool. It's a way to help you visualize your entire portfolio and tell an overall value story that makes sense across that portfolio. And then the the product value profile, on the other hand, helps you really zoom in to better understand particular individual offerings that fall along your value ramp. And both the value ramp and the product value profile are descriptive tools. They help you assess and understand your current offerings. But they both also offer opportunities to change and improve. Once you understand your value ramp and the value profiles of your products as they currently exist, then you have a solid basis for making adjustments, for using some levers, for using value signals to influence how your products are perceived and therefore what you can charge for them and where they might come to fit on a future value ramp, a value ramp that you aspire to make reality. 
At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning, and we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. We achieve these goals through expert market assessment, strategy formulation, and platform selection services. If you're looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com slash services. Now that we've talked about why, let's turn to what. What is the product value profile? It's a tool that offers a way to assess and visually represent the value you deliver with a specific offering, and it involves looking at value signals. We've already mentioned that term value signals a couple of times, but let's unpack it a little bit now. By value signals, we mean the aspects of your product that you actively communicate to your audience and then provide as part of delivering your offering. Right. So you can think of these as features or benefits, the kinds of things that you might emphasize in your your marketing materials about the offering. And for learning businesses, value signals might include things like the reputation of the subject matter expert who was involved in designing or is involved in delivering the learning experience. That could be something that learners would place a premium on and really value someone with you know, deep knowledge or you know, someone who's kind of famous in their field. Another value signal could be access to the subject matter expert or to facilitators. So a learner might really place a lot of value on the fact that she knows she can turn to the facilitator and get her specific questions answered or get one-on-one feedback. Access to peers might be another value signal. Maybe the learner really wants to know that they can access uh, colleagues for support or have networking opportunities practice and application opportunities, those could also be a value signal. Someone really wants to know they're not just going to get the information, but they're going to have a chance to practice it and to think about how it applies to their work or their life. Another value signal might be supporting materials. You know, maybe the course comes with a great workbook or a really useful job aid that they're going to be able to refer back to after the learning experience. And that might be super valuable to a learner. Yeah, those are some great ones. Um, Some other ones would include the availability of credit, like, you know, continuing education credit. So uh, if you're giving CME or CLE or CPE or whatever your flavor is, that can be perceived as as very valuable depending on the needs of your learners. Something like um, proof of demonstrable improvement. We're big on this one because it's all about impact. And we do find in the research we do that more and more learners are looking for clear evidence that your learning experience is going to move the dial. Employers are looking for that as well. Related costs can be another one. So, you know, is travel going to be involved or not involved? And that's something that uh, learners will definitely weigh out as they're perceiving the value of your offering. Venue for place-based offerings, often that destination can be very attractive. Or, you know, for online, it might be software features. So are you doing things like, you know, gamification and things that make the learning experience more dynamic that can be perceived as valuable. Now, these value signals that we've just mentioned aren't by any means an exhaustive list, but hopefully you're beginning to get the idea of the kinds of value signals that tend to be tied to continuing education, professional development, and lifelong learning. And not all value signals you identify are going to apply to all your offerings. I mean, Jeff, you just mentioned venue, for example, that doesn't apply to online offerings, and and that's obvious. But there are other value signals that may not apply across the board that might be a little less obvious. 
you know, you might think that your learners will always want the opportunity to practice. But if you have an offering that's really focused on conveying information, maybe it's information about a regulation that impacts the industry or field that you serve, then the opportunity to practice might not apply. Maybe learners just really need to know the regulation. They don't necessarily need to spend time practicing. And in that case, practice is actually not a value add. That's right. They might just be looking for the, the speediest path to the result that they are looking for. And that points to another example of a, of a value signal that might vary. And that's just simply length. You know, in some situations where learners want or need an in-depth look at a topic, then a longer learning experience could be valued. They see that, you know, they're going to have the opportunity to, to really go deep to get some of that practice you were just talking about, uh, Salisa, perhaps. But in other situations, learners might want or need a, a really targeted, tightly focused take on a topic. And the faster they can get that, the better. And, you know, certainly things like micro learning can come into play here where you're just you're really homing in on a single objective and delivering it quickly. Now, it takes effort to identify your value signals and then to assess how those value signals are perceived by your audiences and how well you're doing on delivering on those value signals. But it's effort that's definitely worth it if you're looking at how to improve performance or maximize sales for a specific product or product line. And if you've been listening to us before now, you uh, won't be surprised to know that we think you need to get input from a variety of key resources on this. So you're going to want to get input from your internal experts, so your, your staff and, and volunteers. You know, what do they think your, your key value signals are? get perspective from a solid sampling of your ideal learners and customers, the people you really want to reach with those offerings. Um, how are they perceiving value? What are they looking for in terms of the value in a learning experience? And then, you know, definitely take a hard look at your most successful competitors and what they're doing. So what value signals do they seem to emphasize the most? And, you know, you may or may not want to emphasize those, but you need to know how you're going to basically position your value in relation to them. So, you know, get input from each of these groups on what they perceive as the most valuable aspects of the offering that you're evaluating and how well you're doing on delivering this value. And of course, hopefully you're also informing these inputs with the ongoing input that you're getting from something like the market insight matrix. So you really just do have a sense of what's valued out in the marketplace with your audience around particular types of learning experiences. And so this input that you're going to gather from this diverse group of, of sources, your internal experts, your ideal learners and customers, by looking at your competitors, by using the market insight matrix, all of that input is going to give you your value signals. And then those value signals become points that you plot on the product value profile. And in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 318, you'll find a visual of the product value profile, but you can visualize it even if you can't head to that URL right now. So just picture a, a double axis chart. It's the type of thing that consultants like to whip out all the time, uh, easy to draw on a board and, and do things with. And in this case, the vertical axis on that is going to be value perception. So it's going to basically align to the perception of value being low is going to be at the bottom. Um, and then as you go up towards the top, value gets higher and higher. So on that vertical axis, uh, low value perception at the bottom, high value perception at the top. 
And then the horizontal access is value delivery with delivery being low at the left and increasing as you move to the right. And by value perception, we mean what do your learners value? What's important to them? And by value delivery, we mean how well do you actually deliver on what your learners value? Would your learners agree that you're delivering on that particular value signal that you plot on that chart? And for the two axes, you might use a, a one to 10 scale for value perception. You know, one is something that learners just don't find valuable at all. If it went away, they wouldn't miss it. Whereas a 10 is what learners value the most. And then on the value delivery side, a one means you're failing. You're, you're not delivering on that value signal at all, which means you have a lot of room to improve. And a 10 means you're really kind of hitting it out of the park. So the product value profile this double access chart gives you four quadrants. So you have the lower left quadrant and that's where value delivery and value perception are low. So that's a quadrant you don't need to give too much attention to. The upper right quadrant is where value is perceived as high. That is your learners really like that value signal and place a lot of value on it. And you're effectively delivering on that value. So that upper right quadrant, that's a good place to be. And it's Definitely good to give yourself and, and your team kudos for what you're doing there. But the upper left and the bottom right quadrants are where you may have some room to adjust. So those are where you're going to really want to give some time and attention. And in the upper left, value perception is high. So these are things your customers consider important, but you're not delivering on them as well as you could be. And then the bottom right is where you're delivering well, but those aren't elements that your customers value highly. So these are aspects where you might be investing more than you should. We've talked about why and what, so let's turn now to how to use the product value profile, which we got into some as we talked about what the tool is. Once you know the value signals for a particular offering, which you're going to find those by asking and observing key stakeholders, your staff and SMEs and customers and prospects, competitors. Then you'll take those value signals and plot them as points on your double access chart. So each point is going to have an X and a Y coordinate. So let's take as an example, practice opportunities as a value signal. And let's say that you determine your learners seek out practice opportunities. They consider practice really valuable. So you rate that an eight on the 10 point scale for value perception. But the e-learning course that you're evaluating has just two simple self-check quizzes. So maybe you're gonna rate that product a three for value delivery. That will put the practice opportunities value signal in the upper left quadrant. A very high value offering is gonna have most of the signals plotted in the upper right quadrant where both perception and delivery are high. And so, you know, we'll say this is a point where there's probably as much art as science uh, to this in determining how to number those things. You know, where does it fall on the scale between one and 10? So it's, it's important at this point to really look for 
any hard evidence that you can get. You know, you want to talk about this as a group, preferably have people, you know, think about it beforehand and, and bring whatever evidence they think there is around a particular value signal to the table. So they've kind of, you know, thought about that before there's too much group influence. We're always, you know, fans of, of making sure that we do what we can to avoid groupthink. But you know, you're going to take as reasonable a guess as you can at where to assign things. And you're going to be doing this with all of your value signals. So, you know, in the end, it's going to kind of balance out. You know, I'll say that if you really wanted to be, you know, much more scientific about this, you would get into doing something like a very formal, what's called a, a conjoint analysis, where you're actually really pulling these levers and collecting data from a, a large number of your target end users. And you're able to, you know, run uh, statistical analyses on those and then come out with, you know, w- what actually weighs the most and what moves the dial the most. In some ways, what this uh, product value profile is giving you is basically a, a, a budget version of doing a conjoint analysis, which can be quite complex and and quite costly. So the results that you'll get from this work is a visualization of how your various value signals rate in terms of how they're perceived and how well you are delivering on them. And just having those points plotted can give you ideas for what to adjust. Anything that's low on value perception, that is your customers don't believe those aspects are valuable, can be examined and and maybe you can cut those or scale them back, especially if they're pricey, expensive items. And you might be able to double down on elements that are highly valued. And for elements that are valued and that you're delivering on well, you know, those are things to to tout and emphasize in your promotion. And another exercise, and I personally think this one is really valuable, is to create product value profiles for each of your key competitors and then overlay those on your profiles. How do you compare? How different do you look? What could you shift to make your products stand out more in the market? And this might mean investing more in areas where you're already strong in delivering value. It may also mean deciding to ignore or de-emphasize other areas because you don't feel the the resource commitment is worth it. And maybe you just, you know, concede that to a competitor because you're differentiating on other uh, factors. And you could also think about new value signals. I mean, if you can legitimately come up with other value signals, things that are perceived as valuable by your market or would be perceived as valuable by your market, and you can deliver on those, then excellent. That's great. You know, go out and do those things. And those could become your differentiators and help stand you out from the other offerings that learners could choose instead of what you offer. And we'll stress too that the the goal is not to shift everything into the upper right, into that high value delivery and high value perception. It may seem like that's the goal, but you know, in most cases it's impractical and, and often cost prohibitive to shift everything to the upper right quadrant. So the goal is to identify the very high value items that you do uh, or can deliver on better than the competition and, and focus on getting those as high as possible in the upper right quadrant. You know, ultimately, you want a value profile that's as attractive as possible while clearly standing out from the profiles of your key competitors. Now, given the effort involved, you probably won't create a product value profile for each product that you offer, particularly if you have a very large portfolio of offerings. Instead, 
you might focus on a product line. You know, maybe you have a series of day-long place-based seminars or you have a set of self-paced e-learning courses for professionals who are new to the field that you serve. So if you have a product line like that where kind of the value signals are going to be pretty much the same across the the offerings, then you could evaluate the product line rather than the individual products. Another way you might choose to use the product value profile is if you have a product that's underperforming, if you're not hitting the revenue goals or the enrollment goals that you have for that offering, then this exercise can help you understand what you might adjust to create a more valuable product. Or on the flip side, if you have a product that's beating projections and outperforming other uh, similar offerings in your portfolio, you might want to use the product value profile to better understand the value of that product. And then once you do, you might be able to apply what you learn to improve those other products that aren't performing as well. Now, since we opened today with a reminder about the relationship between value and pricing, let's talk about a couple ways the product value profile can be used with respect to pricing. First, if you're not achieving the sales you'd expected with a particular offering, you can take steps to adjust the value signals so that the value will be perceived as more in line with the price that you're charging. To do that, you would take steps to improve your delivery on on some or all of the signals in that upper left quadrant, because you're going to try to move them into the upper right. So you're going to you're going to take those things in the upper left. That's where there's a high value. That's what learners really want, but you're not delivering as well on them. So you're going to move them to the right where, again, learners still are, are valuing those things and you're going to deliver on them better. You might also, at the same time, consider eliminating or reducing some things in that lower right quadrant. And that's, you know, things that aren't very uh, highly valued. And that's going to help you perhaps offset any of the changes that you're making, if they're costs related to those improvements, then by eliminating or reducing some other things, you might be able to move funds essentially from focusing on those value signals that aren't really helping you as much as others. Right. And then a second approach, and particularly if a product is is already selling reasonably well, but you want to reposition it on your value ramp is to improve delivery of the upper left quadrant and then raise prices. Um, In general, the product value profile is a good tool for evaluating your offerings and making decisions that enable you to change them relative to price. And I know that many organizations resist raising prices, you know, in particularly tough economic times like we're currently experiencing. But we know that a small price increase can have a significant impact. Yeah, you know. Raising prices is a, is a lever that is just so often overlooked, and it, I mean, it's well established that an increase in price is really one of the most effective ways to increase profit. And again, even if you're a nonprofit, this is this is your margin that you're getting out of your products that can be then channeled back into other parts of your mission. There's a, a study by um, uh, McKinsey and Company, the big consulting firm. This is way back in the, in the '90s that uh, showed that just a one percent increase in price can translate into an 11% increase in profit. So 1% change, you know, uh, is going to, one penny, let's say, is going to result in 11 cents increase in, in, in profits. And on the other hand, you know, just increasing your, your volume of sales, so getting more registrations, getting more enrollments by that same amount, that same 1%, that results in only about a 3% increase 
And then, you know, you say, well, we'll cost. Maybe that's the way to do it. If you cut variable costs by 1%, uh, that resulted in only uh, about an 8% increase. And cutting fixed costs resulted in only about a 2% increase. And I just, you know, threw a lot of numbers at at listeners there. But the, the bottom line is that simply being able to raise prices and even by just a little bit is usually the most effective way by far for an organization to increase their profits, to increase their margins on their learning offerings. And if you're using value-based pricing, and we hope you are, and tools like the product value profile, you know, then you're not blindly raising prices. You're raising prices when you provide something of high value. So in short, the product value profile offers insights into how your products stand out in the market and provides the basis for pricing that's different from the rest of the competitive pack. So that's our look at the product value profile. To get a copy of the product value profile visual, please go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 318. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 318, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. And we hope you will subscribe if you haven't yet. We like subscription numbers because they give us some insight into the impact of the podcast. And we'd also be grateful if you take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you listen, especially if you enjoy the show. So Lisa and I personally appreciate reviews and ratings, and they help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 318, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and we'll see you the next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.